you to pay attention. Um, we do not have power, as you've seen, so I will try my best to project my voice. Uh, we'll also be recording so that if you are not able to hear us, uh, you can still be able to listen to the sermon later on in the afternoon. It is with that I want to ask you then, as you came on the door there, you received this bulletin. Um, we don't have a projector, so I would want you to follow through using this in your hand as you are writing in your journal and whatever maybe you may be using to write the sermon notes this morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter number 4 and we will read together from chapter 4 of Ephesians reading from verse number 11 all the way to verse 16 growing together in Jesus Christ gifted for growth please stand on your feet as we read God's word hear the word of the Lord and he gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Why? So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You may have your seats. Aware that the word of God is spiritual and we are carnal. That even though we do not have power, but we have the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's ask him, therefore, to be with us, to lead us, to guide us into all truth. Above all else, that he may glorify Jesus in our midst, but also in our lives. Shall we ask the Lord to be with us and pray also for yourself, that you may receive the word, not as a word from man, but as it is as the word of God. Let's pray. Our glorious Lord and King, we bow before you this morning. We acknowledge you, Jesus, as the head of this body. 
We acknowledge you as the one who enables us to mature and to grow. It is you who has, in your sovereign grace, saved and redeemed us. We're looking at this passage this morning and we realize and acknowledge of our own inadequacies, our own prejudices, our own insufficiencies. How many times we do not and we are in a place that we don't desire to grow. Or we become so familiar to the things of God. We have used you as a means to our ends. We want you to serve us instead of us submitting ourselves to you. These are the tendencies of our hearts. So as we come to your word, we submit like Samuel would. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. There are many needs among us. There are many who desire to do and accomplish your purposes here on earth. They feel disempowered, dismembered, discouraged, depressed. Yet your word is able to empower, equip, and it is able to rekindle the fire within us that we may go forth in the power of God as you take us, just like you did with Elijah. Rise up, O man, eat, for the journey is long, you said. So we desire to feed from you. Like Peter, we say, you have the words of eternal life. After this, we desire to go back home like the psalmist that we may say, Oh, you have prepared a table before us in the presence of our enemies. Do that. You may anoint the head of this young man, this man, that you may once again rekindle the passion, that you may give us a sense of purpose. For indeed, the harvest is still plenty, but the workers are few. So equip us for the work of ministry, we ask this morning. It is in Christ's name we do pray. And may God's people say amen. Ephesians chapter 4, we have read together from verse number 11 going to verse number 16. We are doing an exposition sermon series. And if you have visited us today for the first time, I would encourage you, therefore, to go and check um, our Facebook page or visit our podcast platform to be able to access the sermon that we had preceding to this. We focused a lot at the beginning of verse number 12, and this morning my desire that we spend the time in verse number 13, which then will take us later to this table Befall us. Growing together in Christ. Spend a lot of time two weeks ago spending as how that looks like. Speaking the purposes of the gifting that the Lord has given us. God has given the gifts to the church we see in verse number 11. And those gifts that he has given are for the well-being of his body, the church. I emphasized last time the fact that these gifts ought and must be exercised in fellowship with other believers. In other words, you cannot be a fruitful Christian if you are divorced from the body of Christ. And as you hear of that, 
And as you listen to that, I'm sure that you do agree. You, you know, yes, it is imperative that we must be part of the body of Christ. Yes, we must be part of a local church. But now, when it comes to those ministries that the Lord has given into the church, there is this idea that has perverted and has crept into the church over the centuries. And the idea is that maybe there is a special class of Christians called the clergy who are going to do the ministry. So when it comes to the gifts, we accept, yes, these gifts ought to function in the church. And maybe in your mind you are thinking, when we speak of the church here, we are speaking of the organizational entity called the church. So we accept those gifts. And maybe you are there and you are thinking, yes, these gifts ought to be exercised. There are those who are producers and there are those who must be consumers. We can fall into the trap, thinking that maybe there, there is a group of men, there is a group of women who are going to do ministry, while the rest of the church sits back and let them do the work. It is called a consumer mentality. In sports, this is called spectator and players relationship. In businesses, as I've said, it's producer and the consumer. So those who are serving are there to entertain, and those who are coming to church, they will give so that they will be served. If the service is not as what I pay for, then I will quit because I'm not served the way that I am paying for. But as you look at the book of Ephesians, you begin to realize that that's not what Paul has in mind. As to what Christ is doing in him blessing and gifting the church, actually, Jesus Christ has this in mind. That, verse number 12, let's go back, that the believers would be equipped. The saints are equipped. What are they equipped for? They are equipped for the work of ministry. Look, Christian, I want you to look in your Bible. This, this implies that the gift, the purpose of the ministries that the Lord is giving to the church, these leaders, these people with leadership gifts are to equip the saints for the work of service so that the body will grow to unity, to maturity, and to Christ-likeness. Because the notion of the thinking that it's only a few people who are going to do the work, the pastors, and those who are maybe full-time staff in the church, that kind of a thinking has caused the church to be so weak than we've seen in churches. You wonder why many people are following after false teachers? You wonder why many Christians don't have an appetite for the Word of God? 
You wonder why you do not have an appetite even for the things of God. We take the box, we sit, and the rest of the week we live anyhow. You wonder why? It is for this very neglect that we have in our minds. Moved away from the biblical view of what church growth is. So to get Paul's flow of thought here, we must go back to the citation that he puts forth in chapter, uh, in chapter 9. Let's look at chapter number 7 first. As he says that grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ. So we look there and we see, then Paul expounds this. He expounds from that phrase. He goes on then that the purpose, the objective why God is doing this is so that every member in the church is involved in ministry. Maybe you may feel inadequate. Maybe you may feel disempowered. But look at the phrase that Paul uses there in verse number 12. He says, it is to the building up. So the Lord gives these gifts in verse number 11 so that the church will be built up. In other words, the saints will be equipped. The saints will be made adequate. That's the word there. The saints will be edified. So the idea of making one adequate for the task, that one is sufficient for something, then God has gifted us as the church. He has gifted the church of God with his word. And he has gifted his church with apostles, prophets, who have written the scriptures. And as he has given us these scriptures, we are to treasure them. Because it is through the word of God that we are built and edified. Look at chapter number 2 of the book of Ephesians. And you will see this same idea. This is not the first time Paul addresses this. Look at chapter number 2. Having been saved by God, having been redeemed by the Lord Jesus. Listen to what Paul sums up chapter 2, the classic chapter in Ephesians. Listen to what he says from verse 19. I read. So then you, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. This is who you are. Your identity is that you are a member of the household of God. There's a passive nature in this. You are being built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Verse 22, listen to this. In him you also are being built together in a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. So then what we see here, if you go to chapter number 4, verse number 11, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers are engaged in the work of ministry. Yes, they are. But the reason and the objective why they are engaged in the work of ministry is that these pastor teachers, they are teaching the word to the rest of the body to become adequate, 
to be prepared so that they may serve the Lord in accordance with their varied gifts. We do this here at FBC by making sure that we preach verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and we go through the Bible because we believe that this is what God's people are built with. God builds his church by his word. Without the word of God, the church is inadequate. We may have all the activities, we may have all the programs, you know, we may entertain one another, but if it is void of the word of God, it is a house that is being built on the Sunday ground. And on a weekly basis, then, we, we, we encourage you to join the Bible studies. We are not saying that so that we count the numbers. No, it's for your own benefit. So that together we can continue to grow because that's why we are here. God has placed us here on the earth so that we may display the character attributes of who? Jesus Christ. See chapter number four. How the, the goal actually is Christ that we may look at verse number 12 with me. Go there. It, it's, it's for this particular objective. We are building up the body of Christ. So it's Christ's body that is being built. What is the goal? Look at verse number 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure and to the stature of who? Of Christ Jesus. So the entire body grows. It is built up. It is made adequate. Maybe you feel inadequate. May I ask you, if you feel inadequate to the gift and to the calling of God on your life, how much time are you spending in his word? If you feel insufficient in that which God has called you, I would love to also pose this question to you. How intentional are you to expose yourself to sound and solid biblical teaching? So then, it is to the building up of the body. That is the purpose of the gift and the purpose of the ministries that the Lord then is giving in his particular church. Let's go to verse number 13 of chapter number 4 of Ephesians. It is to this end then that God is doing this. It is to the end that we attain to the unity of the faith. Verse number 12 tells us that it is to the building up that pictures we need to understand that's a construction picture. Eh? It's not a bubble. It's not something that we are going to come some morning and we just say, kadabra, kadabra, and it's there. Uh -uh, that's not how you build a house. The idea of building denotes that there is a process. The idea of building also denotes that what is happening here, there is growth that is expected as a result of this ministry. There is growth that is expected. 
It is a day by day gradual laying brick upon brick, precept upon precept in the life of the Christian. So then, the goal is that the body will grow to be built up. This includes both adding new members to the body, like the way we've seen this morning through evangelism, or seeing the members growing spiritually as they come to know God in His Word in a deeper way. That's what growth means. There's both a numerical growth that Paul has in mind here, but also he has not only the quantity aspect, but Paul is concerned with the quality aspect of the body here. Being built up here refers to the spiritual growth among those who are being saved. That is the whole objective why Paul went about to preach. That is the whole objective why Paul would pray. Listen to Paul's prayers to the believers in Colossus. As he declares this, Colossians chapter number 1, verse number 28. Listen, he says, we proclaim him, admonishing every man that speaks of preaching, teaching every man with all wisdom, to what end? So that we may present every man complete in Christ. Colossians chapter 2, verse number 6 to 7. Therefore, as you have received Christ, listen to this, as you have received Christ the Lord, so walk in him having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and you're being established in your faith just as you were instructed and are overflowing with gratitude in both texts what do we see paul mentions teaching or instruction as the primary way of this sense to being built i know that it's warm and I want you to check on your neighbor. Some neighbors are praying. <laughs> Just check on your neighbor. Just check on your neighbor. Thank you. It's warm in here. So what do we have here, beloved? I want you to see this. When it comes to us being built up in the face, and when it comes to us being edified, in other words, being made adequate, for the work of ministry being strengthened maybe you are weak and you find yourself discouraged or maybe you are there you find yourself not able to accomplish the purposes of God or you are there and you are still dead in the trespasses of your sin you desire to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ Whichever phase of your life you may be, the word of God is key. It is through the word that God declares new birth into your soul. It is through the word God saves you. Through the word he sanctifies you. Through the word he sustains you. Hebrews 1 verse 3 sustains the universe by the word of his power. It is through the word that then we are able to serve God. Apart from the word of God, then the believer is inadequate from what Paul is saying here. So we must attend, attending to the unity of the faith. In other words, there is a destination to be reached. 
There is a place to be arrived. I know that yes, we are going to grow and we are going to attain this when Christ returns. But this is something that we should aim at. There is a way in which that Paul puts this as you need to pursue this. As First Peter chapter number 2, listen to what Peter says. He says, grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord. Peter reaches that. So as we saw in verse number 3, there is a unity of the spirit that already exists. By virtue of the new birth, every believer is now one with Christ. We see in verse number 3 and verse number 4 of chapter number 4, let's read together. You must be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is, in the, uh, this is an imperative. Be eager to do this, but there is an indicative aspect to this because there is one body and there is one Spirit. There is one God, one faith, one baptism that we were called. So there's an indicative nature to this. In other words, God has already done this. But what we are called to do is to maintain this unity and what Christ is doing in giving the church the gifts. In order for the church to maintain this unity, the church will be able to maintain this unity through the teaching of the sound doctrine. Anything that is founded on anything else other than sound and solid doctrine, it's not true unity. The heart of that unity is a common knowledge and of, of, of the knowledge of and the love for Jesus Christ. So Paul links the unity of faith with the knowledge of the Son of God. And in this case, he is emphasizing the deity of Jesus Christ to say that you must know him. And this is what the, the chief Go, the Apostle Paul had. Remember that? The book of 2 Corinthians, chapter number 2, verses number 2. Listen to what Paul says. When I came to you, Corinthians, I determined to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. This knowledge of Christ becomes Paul's mission. Philippians chapter number 3, listen to verse number 10. That I may know him, and I may share in his suffering, that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but a righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. So he is saying, our goal is that we must attain to the unity of the faith, one. But secondly, we must attain the unity of the Son of God. In essence then, beloved, the expected, the expected result of the ministry is that first and foremost then, we grow in sound doctrine that brings about spiritual unity. Our growth in Christ, dependent on the Word, is actually made possible by God through the work of His Holy Spirit and through the work of His Holy Scriptures. Do you see the beauty there? And as we are being admonished and as we are being encouraged, the ball of the, God, of the body then is to grow not only to the knowledge of Christ, 
but also to mature man. So in either way, you can see that childishness is discouraged. Just in verse number 13 and 14. Now with that in view then, if this is what God expects of us as the church, that we must attend to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. If this is the goal that God has in mind, according to verse number 13, that we must all reach to the measure of the stature of Christ. The question is, how does God do that? Or, if you are here this morning, how do you know that you are not growing? What are some of the symptoms we should be on the lookout for that you are not growing? You see, the Apostle Paul continues as he writes this particular book. In verse number 14, he says, this is the objective, this is the purpose clause. We may no longer be children. As though the statement he has said in verse number 13, that we want to mature and we want to attend to mature manhood as though that is not enough. Contrasting to mature manhood is this phrase, no longer be children. That's what it means. Now the question is, who are children? We know children, right? Kids by nature, babies. That's the language that Paul uses there, Napia. Babies, they don't have discernment. Now, in the context of sound doctrine, what Paul has in mind here, he, he has in mind that as, as babies in Christ, you are not just eating anything, anyhow, at any time. Because babies lack self-control, right? Babies also lack their own knowledge. So they have to grow and they have to experience. And the experience and the knowledge that Paul is alluding to here, it's not just a knowledge of something, a superficial knowledge in terms of a knowledge as it is in an academic sense. The knowledge that Paul has in mind here, beloved, this is the true knowledge that has to deal with the intimate knowledge. There is this knowledge as it is depicted of a husband and a wife. And what Paul is asking and is admonishing these believers, he is urging them to say that I want you to know this Jesus experientially. Not just because you are among his people, but he must be in your heart too. He must be your Lord and your Savior. In essence, I want you to see the intimate nature of this verse. Go to verse number 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, he says, We are to grow up in every way into him, the one we are connected to, who is the head, signifying that we are the body, he is the head. There is that interconnection that we do have with this Jesus. We are joined and we are held together by 
every joint with which it is equipped. So there is this intimate nature, intimate aspect to this knowledge of Christ. You don't just know about him or of him. Like you know President Cyril. We must know him. But it has to be that desire. Our growth is dependent on this knowledge of Christ. Because he is the goal. He is the subject we are expected to learn. Not just a subject to be learned. He is a person to be loved. You see, because we can know a lot about Jesus. But we don't love him. It's possible. It's possible to know a lot about someone. But in essence you are not connected to them. We knew a lot about Obama. Don't, didn't we? Very loved. So much loved in Africa. But how many knew him? Only Michelle knew who Obama was. So the idea here is this, beloved. Christ then is our goal. He is the subject. He is the substance. Not only is he the savior, he is to be served and he is to be desired. He is the one then that our statue, in other words, who we are and what we must become. Consider this, beloved. We are like in the hands of this man who is a sculptor. And when and I are like a block of stone, and what God does and what He is doing in saving you, bringing you to Himself, what Paul is saying is, God desires you as a block of stone, as He's building His house. He chisels you, chops away anything that does not look like Christ as He desires to build His church. Yet in that building, although it is God who is building, you are very intricately involved because you are part of the body. You divorce yourself from the body, you deny yourself of your own spiritual growth. You divorce yourself from the body, you deny your fellow believers of the growth and the maturity they were expected to receive. Because there is corporate maturity expected from the church according to this particular section. So now, let me come to the conclusion. In how many ways is Christian say to grow? Number one, you and I must grow in vigor. In other words, we are expected to exercise all our graces to exercise all our gifts like a lamp that is burning and we are shining. We must grow in vigor such that we must not lose the passion. We must not lose the zeal that we once had for the Lord. We must have this living hope. And we must pray that we will continue to grow, not only in vigor, but also we need to show growth and progress gradually. 
In other words, the degree of grace that we need to show and the degree of growth that we need to possess as we grow in the likeness of Jesus, it's not going to happen overnight. We are not going to become super Christians just for the mere fact that you finished reading the whole Bible. You see, Paul uses this word. It is for the building. That's a process, I repeat. It's a process. Requires studious, line upon line, precept upon precept, day by day, trusting and depending on the grace of God. That you then will go from strength to strength, from one degree of ignorance to one level of knowledge of Him. Then you move from glory to glory, as we see in First Corinthians, or you move from faith to faith, as we see in Romans chapter number 1, verse number 17. Can you see the progressive nature of our growth? But we are growing into Him. That's how we grow, in vigor, and we grow in gradual sense. And may I say this, that God will at times use afflictions and trials to grow us. Romans chapter number 8, verse number 28 says this, that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him and to those who are called according to His purposes. Why? Because it is God's desire that we all what? Conform to the image of His dear Son. The same end. For those whom He foreknew, He also justified. Those He justified are those whom He glorified. Those whom He glorified are the ones that He predestined them that they must conform to the image of His dear Son. So then a sense goes from faith to faith, as in Romans 1, verse number 17. His love abounds more and more, as in Philippians chapter number 1, verse number 9. That's how then we mature. This is what is expected of us as we mature, not only in doctrine, but we grow also in the divine nature. So then be watchful then as to some of the things that may be a hindrance to your spiritual growth. How shall we know whether we are growing in grace or not? The first sign of you showing or knowing that you are not growing in growth, this is the first one, when we have lost our spiritual appetite in the Word of God. Remember the days when you came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? First Peter chapter 2 alludes to the truth that you as a newborn baby, you must crave, yearn for, you must desire for the spiritual milk of the word. But how many of us desires God's word? Are you studying the scriptures to be equipped and empowered daily? Number two, when we are becoming more worldly, we stop to grow. And I said this last week, the friends we keep, even when it comes to fellowship, in our fellowship, there is a warning that sometimes we can fraternize a fellowship with the world, 
but in a similar fashion in our fruitfulness in Christ, in our fruition in the work of the Lord, there is a danger that worldliness can also hinder our growth. That we become like Demas, the young man who, in love of the world, deserted the Apostle Paul and went after the world. And such a man was hindered of his growth. Or oh, like the believers, as we are going to see next week, who then begin to begin to buy into the worldly philosophies that their lives are mocked by world ideas and world thinking, that they no longer desire God, but they are only desiring things of the world. Now, as you look at all this, and you wonder to say as to what is the importance of this to me, if you feel disempowered, and if you feel dismembered, get back to the knowledge of Christ, make Christ your chief pursuit. That then you may grow in sound doctrine, which we are going to look at next week as well. You need to grow then in your divine nature, in Christ-likeness. Because this is the goal, why you are a Christian. It's not to become like the next Christian next to you. Our goal is this, that we may become like Christ. No longer babies, but rather mature men and women. No, but I'm mature. What must I think like? What are the childish ways? Philippians chapter 3. Let's read and we finish from verse number 7. Listen to the Apostle Paul as he writes in the same context as one of his prison epistles. Philippians 3, the Apostle Paul writes. He tells us of his past life in verse number Three, all the way to verse number six. But it comes to this resolution. Apostle Paul makes this resolution and he says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I have counted everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. Why? In order that I may gain Christ. That's what he's chasing. And be found in him, having a righteousness not of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in who? In Christ. Ah, but that is for the A-level entry Christian, you may argue. No, listen to verse number 15. He says this. Same chapter. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if, in any, if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this also to you. So if you are mature and you consider yourself mature, Christ is still your chief goal and your end. If you are not saved and you are here and you have not yet come to faith in the Lord Jesus, may I tell you, everything else of the world is but done compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. To a Christian who feels weak, down and out and discouraged, the knowledge of Christ is this knowledge then that must encourage you. Look at verse number 12 of chapter 3. Now, not that I've already I obtained this. Not that I've already obtained this, so I am already perfect. 
I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies ahead, what lies behind, and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on to the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So to those who are discouraged, Christ still is the chief. To those who desire to be used of God and you feel disempowered, Christ is still the gift. To those who are lost and they have no hope in the world, he is still a worthy treasure to be pursued. He is both the savior, the subject, the substance, the sustainer of those who trust in him. So then, the expected result of ministry is that we grow in sound doctrine that brings spiritual maturity, but also, secondly, we grow in the divine nature in Christ-likeness. And that we need to do with everything within us, but we cannot do it apart from God, the Holy Spirit. So we pray and ask Him to help us with that regard. Our glorious God and King, we do bow before you this morning. We thank you for every resource you've made available for us. Chapter 1 of the book of Ephesians assures us of every blessing you've given us in your Son. In Him we have the forgiveness of our sins. In Him we have the redemption. And in Him we do have, even now, the privilege to be numbered amongst the heirs of your grace. Yet as we hear these words, and as we look into your word, we see how inadequate we are. So we ask of the empowerment of your spirit. May you help us, therefore, that we may not just be mere hearers of your word, but doers. Help us, O Father, to submit our hearts and our lives fully to you, acknowledging that we are men and women who have been redeemed and bought by your blood. As your church, we desire to grow. Not only growth in number, but growth in nature. That we may become like you. Meek and lowly submissive to the will of the Father, that daily we will say, not my will but yours be done. So help us, even as we now turn to this table, remembering of the great sacrifice, how you willingly laid down your dear life for us, depraved, deceived, Dear devils, that we were without hope, without God in the world. Yet by mercy, you have saved us. So be glorified in our lives, but also in our midst. In Jesus' name we ask. May God's people say amen.